Hi, everyone. Welcome. This is Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, Trinity Health of New England. Thank you for joining us for Medically Speaking. Um, Johnny's a little silly tonight, our producer. Um, We haven't been together. I was away um, a week ago, so Johnny had some time off. So I think he's forgetting how to get back in the groove. That's right. Right? Um, But I do want to welcome you, and I want to thank you for joining us tonight for our program. Um, I'm very excited tonight to be able to have in our program are a physician who is our regional physician leader for oncology and hematology, and his name is Dr. Adam Borakoff. Hi, Doc. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So finally got some sunshine. We finally got some sunshine, but it turned super, super hot. Gross. Yeah, it turns super, super hot. So all of a sudden we go from the rain and then it gives us, okay, we get the sunshine, but then all of a sudden it's like an oven out there. So yeah, it's definitely taken a turn. Hopefully we get some better, more pleasant weather as the week goes on. I, I can only hope when we're off. And are you off this weekend, Doc, or are you on call? Um, I am off, but kind of always on. Yeah, kind of always on call, right? So I introduced you as our physician um, leader, our regional physician leader um, for oncology and hematology, but I want to make sure that I've said your title correctly. So do you have a specific title? Sure. Well, I'm the chief of hematology and oncology at St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center. Uh, That's Smilo St. Francis at, at Smilo Cancer Center at St. Francis. We've got a lot of names, but right. <laughs> Smilo Cancer Center at St. Francis. And separate from that, I am the regional service line leader for hematology and oncology for Trinity Health of New England. Now that covers St. Francis Hospital, but also covers Mercy Medical Center in Springfield and St. Mary's Hospital in uh, Waterbury, as well as Johnson Memorial Hospital in Stafford Springs. So you are always on call. As you, as you, in that in that capacity, as the regional service line director, I'm always on call. So you know, in the last several weeks, we've had a lot of our physicians on in the various um, different um, specialties, and what we've talked a lot about is the regional approach that we've put together for specific service lines and hematology oncology is definitely one of those. But before I get to that, one of the things I always like to do with the physician that's newer to our program or hasn't been on the program before, just so the audience gets to know you is, now I know you completed your internship and residency at New York Presbyterian Hospital in New York, correct? Yep. And then you served a fellow um, in hematology oncology at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York, which comes with its own incredible prestige. And I always ask, what made you as a young intern resident go into the field of oncology? What what drove you to do that? So, you know, what, what drove me there may or may not be what keeps me here and I, <laughs> I, I don't know you know what what i love about the field i'll tell you what I, what i love about the field is um whether or not it's true people with cancer diagnosis feel that they are facing the end they feel that you know this is it and the level of the relationship that you can get with the patients with the diagnosis of cancer is just unbelievable you get very close very quickly you've yeah. got a relationship that is just from the, you know, it, it starts out, you meet, you talk, you go through things, and then all of a sudden, you're in. 
and you're in really deep. Now, every one of my, you know, just about every one of my patients, we, we hug each other when they leave. Males, female, whatever, something, you know, they kiss. It's just a very intense relationship. And it's amazing. And, you know, certainly we've got some great wins. Certainly we've got um, the cases where people don't survive. But even when, when people don't survive, um, there are certain things that we can do to make that passing much, much better. And there are so many interventions that you can do. So it's not always about just beating the cancer. It's about treating the patient. And there's a lot of intensity that comes along with it. So there's the intensity of the relationship. There's the intensity of the therapy that we give. And, you know, all that, all that goes along with it. So that, that's kind of what I just love these patient relationships. They're, they're incredible. They're really deep. Um, in terms of what brought me in in the first place, I, I love that I use everything I learned in medical school. Mm. Uh, my patients were super sick. I'm a leukemia, lymphoma doc, myeloma doc, you know, blood cancer doc and stem cell transplant. I used to do that when I was at Sloan Kettering. And the people are really sick. And if you don't know your antibiotics or your kidney function or your liver, you know, you can't call a specialist all the time for everything. Right. Um, you know, even the management of depression and anxiety. Um, if I'm always referring out to another doc, my patients aren't going to do it anymore because they're sick of going to the hospital or to the cancer center. So you've kind of got to know everything, everything that you've learned, and it just utilizes everything. doesn't mean I don't, you know, refer out when needed, but right. um, you've just got to keep everything there. So that there's an intensity to it. There's a, there's a depth to it, and it's, and it's also ever-changing. I mean, the, the therapy that I give for uh, certain leukemia today has nothing to do with what I gave three to five years ago, which was different before that. So cancer in particular is one of the most fast, uh, quickly changing therapies in, in in all of medicine. Well, you know, because you've led in with that, I think maybe then, you know, I'd like to lead in with what we, what we kind of promoted as kind of the theme for tonight, and which is modern therapy for cancer and beyond chemotherapy, right? So I'd love to lead in with that. And then as we do that, I do want to get back to the regional vision that we also have. But let's let's jump into, since we've already started, with modern therapy for cancer and kind of beyond the chemotherapy. I know you and I shared some stories. Sure. So, you know, what when people think of chemotherapy for cancer, a lot of times people may have a relative that they saw go through chemotherapy or they've heard a story of something. And a lot of that involves um, the, the standard, what we call cytotoxic or cell-killing chemotherapies that were very, that they were kind of the only things that we really had about 5, 10, 20 years ago. And these, these therapies, uh, some of them we still do use, but these therapies in general work by killing actively dividing cells. Mm. So they're relatively non-selective, meaning they kill anything that's rapidly dividing. And it, it's kind of the analogy I use for patients is if, uh, if we put a pizza in a room and I'm sitting in the room with a patient and a family member, and if that pizza had poison on it and the big fat hungry guy, and that's usually me, ate most of the pizza, um, I would get most of the poison. And therefore, if, if the poisonous pizza came in the room, I would get the most sick. Right. Uh, because I ate most of the pizza that had most of the poison, and that's how kind of chemotherapy works. But the other people would still get some poison and they get sick. Similarly, the other tissues in the body that do take up the 
the poison or the chemotherapy, they also can, those cells will die. And that's why you get side effects like nausea or vomiting or what we call mucositis, which is just a kind of ripping out of the lining of the mucous membranes or hair falling out or susceptibility to infections, things like that. It's, it's all rapidly dividing cells get hurt. Um, and that's really not what the modern therapy is about. So certainly we still do use, we do use some chemotherapies and some of those curative, uh, some of those therapies are actually curative. They can lead to cures in certain patients. So for example, uh, standard risk Hodgkin's disease or certain patients with certain types of breast cancer can still be cured of those disease with those kinds of cytotoxic chemotherapies. But in the modern age, we have a lot of different types of therapies, including targeted therapies, or immune therapies that are a lot more selective for the cancer. And what that leads to is not only better and more specific cell killing, but less side effects. So we talked a bit about, when you and I did a little bit of a pre-talk, we talked a bit about targeted therapies. Can we expand on that a little bit and tell the, the general audience, what is a targeted ter- therapy and how does that work? Sure. So. A lot of immune therapies are an example of targeted therapies, but I'll come back to those later. So, you know, when we talk to our other targeted therapies, there are certain, for an example, one of the classic examples is there is disease called chronic myelogenous leukemia, or CML, that exists when two chromosomes, chromosome 9 and 22, kind of come together, they mix up little pieces, and they form a new protein called BCR-ABL. And this protein doesn't exist normally, but BCR exists normally and ABLE exists normally. And when they're, when those chromosomes kind of mix together and make that new protein, that protein drives this cancerous process and drives this development. And there was a drug that was designed to specifically block or target that new molecule. And that first drug was called imatinib or Gleevec. And that was a game changer in cancer therapy because it led to incredible responses. These patients previously usually had to go undergo allogeneic stem cell transplant, which oh my is a gosh. stem cell transplant from one person to another, the right. most aggressive therapy in all of medicine, in all of cancer, all of medical therapy. It was a heroic therapy, and that was the only way to cure these patients. Now these patients just take a pill every day. And, you know, it, it That's was incredible. For a, it was the model for a targeted therapy. Now, of course, certain, you know, it doesn't work in everybody, and certain people have side effects. So newer and newer molecules were developed that are more specific for this, for this protein and also that have hopefully less side effects or that they bind it a little bit stronger. But this is what we call a targeted therapy. The pill is designed, to, the, 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 the drug is designed to target that molecule and block it. So the, so patient, a, so the patient would take a pill every day? And not have mm-hmm. the not have the typical IV or we call infusion. Exactly, exactly. And is it forever and or for a period of time? Yes, forever. So there there are studies at looking at whether people can stop it, but for now people are taking it indefinitely. Hmm. And it's kind of like high blood pressure. High blood pressure is considered yeah. quote unquote uncurable. Right. But people take a blood pressure pill every day, and they it they can live their rest of their lives with that. And if they can they're controlled. It, it doesn't necessarily impact their survival. 
Now, this so, may not be down the same line as a targeted therapy, but I think it might be. So I'm going to I'm just going to throw it out there and please correct me if I'm wrong. But I know some of my cancer, my breast cancer patients that are out there that I've worked with for many years are probably thinking this. Would you consider like a tamoxifen that kind of a drug or that's that's more of a hormone blocker? It, it is a hormone blocker, but it is more targeted. It, right. it, is, it does not affect everything. It's another type of targeted therapy because it does work on a certain hormone system, and it, it, it is an anti-estrogen, so it, it does have a certain property there. It doesn't affect all cells in the body. It does have some side effects, but it is relatively targeted therapy. And again, it's not a chemotherapy. It doesn't kill all actively dividing cells. Right. There are, that, that is an example of hormone therapy. There, there's that, and there are other hormone therapies uh, for breast cancer as well as ovarian cancer and even prostate cancer. When you see so, yeah, these, that's another example. That's, that's an example. That's good. I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't make a big mistake on that one. I would have been called out a bit. But when you look at some of these hormone-targeted um, type of therapies, are these lifetime therapies, or are they just for a period of time? Because I know with tamoxifen, in the past, they used to give it for a peri- period of time, and then they stopped it. Yeah, so that's what's called adjuvant therapy. Okay. Adjuvant therapy is kind of after you've cut out a tumor and you want to clean up what's remaining. Uh-huh. People sometimes will get chemotherapy and or radiation, and then after that, they will go on hormonal therapy for a period of five years or 10 years. That's what we call adjuvant therapy. And that's, that's a defined therapy. And that's to keep it, prevent it from coming back, to, to kill what's remaining over and prevent it from, from that from coming back. There are also times when, we, when the disease is metastatic, so when the disease has uh, maybe hopefully been cured and it comes back, or even if it's kind of metastatic from the beginning it's 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 out of the gates and it's it's what we call possibly terminal there are still times that we use hormonal therapies in that setting so in those therapies we use them until they stop working and then we switch to another therapy just like in high blood pressure or just like in the management of diabetes so although we do consider stage four or metastatic um, cancers of certain types for example breast cancer or lung cancer or colon cancer we do consider them um, not curable, patients can be on therapies in certain scenarios for a long period of time. Again, we try one, use it till it stops working, and right. then we switch to the next next one. And that's why I think, you know, when we said in our initial headline, you know, beyond chemotherapy, because there's so much more than what people have in their mind of what the traditional chemotherapy is. Absolutely. And I don't want to get off target. So you did mention as part of the targeted therapies, immune therapy. So maybe you want to touch us. Yeah, sure. Even before we switch to immune therapy. So that BCR I talked about is a new protein that that doesn't normally exist. There are other proteins that are there that are just mutated, that are changed for some reason. Or in a cancer patient, they change. So, for example, there's something called BRAF. And BRAF is mutated in certain kinds of cancer. One of them was found was melanoma. And so for melanoma patients, they can take this pill that targets the mutated protein. Similarly, that same drug was also found to be in a rare kind of leukemia called hairy cell leukemia, where that drug is now being explored as a possible therapy for that disease. Wow. And those kind of targeted therapies where we take a patient, we look at their, we look at their actual tumor, and we look for these mutations. Some people call that 
uh, precision medicine, right. personalized medicine, where a patient, uh, well, we see a patient, we maybe diagnose melanoma, and then we send their tumor sample off for certain genetic testing where they, right. we can look for these genetic mutations or modifications in these proteins. And when we see that, so for example, if someone does have a BRAF mutated uh, melanoma, they could be treated with this bemurafenib molecule or therapy, and that is precision medicine because it's precise for that patient. Wow. We wouldn't use it in the patient who didn't have that mutation. Similarly, when we find that in hairy cell leukemia, now we're exploring that therapy. We recently participated in an, um, what we call a multi-center clinical trial for hairy cell leukemia where we were giving this therapy as part of therapy because we would, if and only if, we found this mutated uh, protein in our cancer patients. And that's a kind of precision medicine or personalized medicine where we're using targeted therapies. There are similarly several kinds of lung cancers that have certain mutations where we'll use a particular um, pill therapy if they have a mutation, but we won't use it if they don't have it. And that's an example of a targeted or precision medicine. It's actually um, personalizing the treatment for that specific person and their cancer. So the cancer they have isn't the same cancer, maybe the same diagnosis, but certainly not the same treatment. So exactly. it's going to customize that treatment for that patient. Exactly. And getting back to immune therapies, immune therapies, there are several different types of immune therapies, but what I'll get into is some types of immune therapies are similarly targeted therapies. So when we talk about immune therapies for cancer, there's a whole, there are several different types. So I'll go with the simplest type, the HPV vaccine. Hmm. The HPV vaccine is, a, it is an immune therapy. It's a vaccine that works with the immune system, and it prevents HPV. Uh, HPV turning into cervical cancer or penile cancer. So that's, a, that's an immune therapy that can prevent cancer. Other types of immune therapies are kind of along the, the, the targeted type. So there is a, there's a drug called rituximab, which is a drug commonly used to treat a variety of types of leukemias and lymphomas. And the way this drug was developed was human B cells or B lymphocytes were injected into mice and mice made an immune response to these B cells. They made an antibody uh, to what's a, a protein called CD20, which is on B, B cells. And this antibody, like most antibodies, or like all antibodies, is specific, meaning that it binds CD20. It doesn't bind other proteins. It only binds CD20. Uh, we've learned a lot about antibodies and immune therapies in the setting of COVID and coronavirus. We know that you know when we give a vaccine, we're hoping to make antibodies. So that this is an exactly how that works. And the coronavirus, just like the coronavirus antibodies will bind and neutralize coronavirus, but they won't touch influenza. Right. Similarly, these, these anti-CD20 antibodies will bind B lymphocytes, but they won't bind T lymphocytes. So they won't bind NK cells or other immune cells. So we have this drug called rituximab, again, which is an antibody generated in mice, which attacks CD20. CD20 is a protein that's on B cells or B lymphocytes. So any leukemia or lymphoma that comes from a B cell, which is the vast majority of, of uh, lymphomas, will be a target for this drug, wow. meaning this drug can be used there. So rituximab is now one of the most commonly used drugs in all of leukemia and lymphoma therapy. So B cell leukemia and lymphoma therapy. You bring it up in an incredibly interesting 
point because I didn't know enough about it until the discussion of the COVID vaccine, but how the technology you utilize to create the vaccine is something we've been working with, particularly in cancer treatment. Yes, absolutely. With immune therapy. That is just so interesting to me. And people aren't as aware of it. So they think it's so new, but it really isn't. Yeah, immune. So the the drug uh, companies that were work that made those um, RNA vaccines, actually, they they got their start working on cancer. vaccines. Oh, my gosh, it's amazing. And so there's been a lot of work before when I was at Sloan Kettering, before I came here, that's what I worked on was on, on immune therapies for cancer, how we could trick the immune system to fight cancer. So this this kind of therapy is what we call a passive immune therapy, meaning the antibody is made outside the body. It's, you know, it was first made in mice. Now it's made in, in mass production outside of mice. But it's, it's right. we now have the ability to completely humanize these antibodies or make them not necessarily from mice anymore, but make it look like they come from human antibodies. Right. But we have the ability to produce these antibodies and to give them to patients. Uh, and the, the drug works as long as it's in the body so that we give the drug the drug lasts for several weeks to months, and then it comes out. Other approaches of, of using immune therapies look at really trying to give a cancer vaccine. Can we vaccinate the patient so that they make an ongoing immune response? Wow. But so, for example, getting back to rituximab, that is a targeted therapy. So we only give, so if someone has a B-cell lymphoma, we will often use this, this drug in combination with other therapies. However, if they have the T-cell lymphoma, meaning they don't express the CD20, then we don't give it to them. So this is, again, a form of precision or personalized medicine. It specifically targets these cells, doesn't really target other cells. So the side effects are minimal. So when we give rituximab alone, there's no nausea, no vomiting, there's no hair loss, there's no sick in the hospital, there's no none of that sick cancer therapy that we think of when we talk about other, you know, when we think about chemotherapy in the old days. Well, you know, and I know one of the things you do treat a lot of leukemia patients. I know you and I talked about that. And there must just be so much more hope for these patients now having the conversation with drugs such as this with immunotherapy. Because, you know, before that wasn't the reality. I can tell you growing up, I have a few friends who had siblings or, or, or I knew a couple of colleagues in my younger days um, in nursing school who were nurses on the floor that died of leukemia. And you just don't see that anymore with this. Well, let, let's, you know, let's be honest. Yeah. We have come a long way, yes. but we're not there yet. Mm. So people are still dying of leukemia. People yeah. are still dying of lymphoma. People often talk about, oh, Hodgkin's disease, that's the best lymphoma. Huh. Uh, no, people are still dying from these diseases. We've got a long way to go. Therapy is a lot better than it used to be, but mm-hmm. we still need advances. We still need participation in clinical trials. Right. That's my other passion is, is getting patients involved and hooked in on clinical trials. But that being said, the therapies that we have today are infinitely better than the ones we had five, ten years ago. And we are making these strides. So another stride in immune therapy. So that what I talked about before was a passive immune therapy, meaning it's made outside the body. We give it to patients, and after the drug is kind of cleared from the body, it's gone. It doesn't live on there. Another type of therapy is what we call immune checkpoint blockade. So a little lesson in immunology. Anytime you make <laughs> an immune this. response, 
yes, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, basic science discussions. So <laughs> if, if you have, say, for example, influenza infection, yep. and you have influenza in your lungs and you've got this infection, your immune system normally goes in and clears it out. Now, your immune system is active in the lungs and killing all this virus. Mm. If it were to go unchecked, <laughs> it would destroy your entire lung and you'd have this horrible immune attack. That's something similar to what we see in coronavirus or COVID patients. A lot of them die of an overactive immune response, but we see this overactive immune response. And if there was nothing to turn on the brakes there, we would, you know, as soon as you got an infection, if you got a sore throat, your throat would be attacked. If you got a pneumonia, your lung would be attacked. So we have these immune suppressor cells that are constantly there to turn off an attack. We don't want the attack too strong. So these immune suppressor cells are normally there to prevent this attack. They prevent the infection from being overwhelming, but they also prevent an immune attack from your normal self. So every cell in your body is potentially a target for your immune system. And, wow. and we have these immune suppressor cells that kind of make sure that we don't attack ourselves, that turn off this immune response. Kind of keeps it in check. Now, it keeps it in check. Now, what has been studied is that when we did biopsies of patients with many kinds of cancer, um, lung cancer, for example, there were immune cells in the tissue biopsy. For reason, the immune cells weren't doing their job. Hmm. So this whole new class of cells that therapies came out, it's an immune therapy, it's called checkpoint blockade, where we take these immune suppressor cells and block them. So we block <sighs> the suppressor cells. And what that does is that winds up turning on the immune system against that tumor. Oh. And this drug has been another game-changer drug for a variety of different cancers, probably most significantly for lung cancer, which wow. used to be a real death sentence, particularly in the later stages. And now this therapy has been proven to make people live years longer. What and are some of those of drugs? Therapy. What are some of those, Doc? So atezolizumab, uh, Keytruda, Ipilumumab. Yeah. There's, there are different types of uh, nivolumab, there are different types that target different suppressor cells or okay. suppressor molecules, but all of these drugs work in a similar way. They're basically, those immune suppressor cells are the brakes on the immune system, and basically these drugs are turning off the brakes. By blocking the brakes, you're really turning on the immune system. And these drugs have activity in a variety of different cancers, not just lung cancer, but even some kinds of lymphomas. It, it, it's really been an amazing game changer. So that's another type of immune therapy. Again, these drugs potentially have side effects. Now, right. what can happen, as I said, they, that your immune system is protected from attacking itself because of these immune suppressor cells. So one of the side effects that we see, not surprisingly, mm. and, and as would be expected, is autoimmune disease. Right. Because we're blocking this we're taking off the brakes, and now the immune system can attack the, attack the normal cell. Right. So that's another type of immune therapy. One the next stage of really kind of advanced immune therapy is uh, where we take cells out of the body and genetically engineer them to attack the cancer. Again, for whatever reason, the wow. immune system is not attacking the cancer. So this is called uh, a chimeric antigen receptor T-cell or a CAR T-cell or CAR, C-A-R-T-cell. These type of therapies, yet they're, they're most, they're FDA approved for lymphoma and now myeloma and they're be ex being explored for a lot of different types of therapies. But again, a patient's 
undergoes chemotherapy. The disease kind of gets low to a low level. We take out cells from their body, wow. send them off where they're genetically engineered to fight that particular cancer. And then the cells are put back in the body where these are actual living cells, living therapy. And those cells in the body go out, seek and destroy those particular uh, cancer cells. It's absolutely amazing. It's, I mean, I, so, I'm sitting here with my mouth open, Doc, because I feel like I'm, the knowledge that I'm gaining from you is just more than I've had in such a long time. I just I can't thank you enough for your for your expertise on this. I, there's so many commercials out there that patients see so many different commercials on different type of cancer drugs. And, you know, we have this, we have that. And I think people get overwhelmed. But if they hear what you're telling us now and you know, we're able to share it this way, it provides them with the hope, knowing that if themselves or a loved one ever get a diagnosis, this is the reasoning behind it, and this is what it's actually doing. It's not like you're just taking a chemotherapy pill and they don't truly understand. I think knowing that what it's doing is helping them to fight it emotionally themselves. Absolutely. I mean, so this, this goes for many different people. So, for example, a friend and a colleague, physician, uh, his mother recently was diagnosed with lung cancer. He said, you know, I'm not sure she's going to want to come in and, and she's, she's not going to want chemo or any of this. I said, listen, we have targeted therapies. We don't necessarily give chemo. You know, we could make her live potentially longer, certainly make her live better, more comfortable. There's a lot we can do. She's 91, but we understand that. And she came in and, you know, she's, she's had a great experience because it's, look, I'm not saying, you know, cancer is a picnic. It's a fun time, but right. it's so much infinitely less toxic or, you know, horrible than, than people think it is right. in certain cases. Now, even these immune therapies, I'm not going to say that these immune therapies are perfect and they're not without therapies. These CAR T-cell therapies, yes, when they work, they're a miracle drug, but when they don't, it, it, people can get quite ill. So, again, we, we're not there yet. And if there's anything else I can say is that we, we need participation in clinical trials. So patients often say, well, you know, I don't want to be a guinea pig. Mm. Yes, you do. Mm. You know, until we're curing everybody, you do want to be on clinical trials, getting access to these latest types of therapies. That's, that's the way, that's the best way to do it. it it's, it's best for the individual patient because right. it gives them access to the latest, greatest therapies. And it also is, is great for the population in general. That's how we advance therapies. That's how we get drugs approved is by a participation in clinical trials. So let's and, let's definitely focus on clinical trials because I think that's so important because that's one of, again, as you just said, it's one of your biggest passions, but it has, a you know, being part of a, a regional system. And I know that with Smilo um, also being, you're having access to, to Smilo, having it up at St. Francis, it's amazing to be able to latch onto the trials being on the forefront of the latest and greatest. But when, when a patient hears clinical trial, and you can definitely speak to this when you mention it to a patient. What's their first reaction? Uh, they they get a little concerned. They say, huh, I don't want the placebo. I, That's I what I was just going to say. They're afraid of the placebo that they're not going to be treated. Right. And so we don't use the, we, we don't do that in, in cancer therapy. Mm. It would be unethical to offer a trial where we either had an experimental therapy or a placebo. So in, in cancer mm -hmm. therapy, at a minimum, someone gets a standard of care drug. So, for example, if drug X is being studied, we don't do drug X versus placebo. What we'll do is uh, maybe standard of care versus standard of care plus drug X. Hmm. 
So everyone is everyone is getting at least standard of care, but half the people will get X, the additional drug, or that that's in the, that's what we call a randomized study. There are certainly other phase two studies that are not randomized, where everybody gets a study drug, where everybody may get the standard of care plus the study drug. The other type of um, study is what's called a phase one study. Those are usually the first, they could either be the first in human, or it could be two drugs that have already been FDA approved, but it's the first time they're being combined together. And those are people who are later stage or have less options. But phase one studies are often very important. Again, that's how we get these drugs into humans in the first place. And that, that is the opportunity to get a drug where there's kind of no other options left. But phase one studies, phase two studies, phase three studies, all of these have a role in cancer therapy. Um, and when they're available, I, I just, I, I can't recommend enough that people at least explore the option. Now, sometimes I may tell a patient, look, you don't need it right now, um, or this study isn't great for you, but you know, it's, it's good to know that these studies are out there, or maybe if the disease comes back, that's when I would consider doing right. a clinical trial. We have this as standard care. But, uh, for example, now we're doing this big study in, in a certain type of leukemia where we know these two-drug option is very good, but we think that a three-drug three drug option might be better. So people are randomized to either two drugs or the combination of these three drugs. Again, everyone at least gets two drugs, but half the people get a third drug. So do you ever see a clinical trial where it applies to a patient in an early stage? Or, or absolutely. The, so, and, yes, and absolutely. what are some of those that you can maybe remember or speak to? So that 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 drug that that study that I'm talking about for CLL. Yep. Uh, this this is a drug. This is a um, a combination. It, it's for patients who are newly diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia or CLL, and they're randomized to either a two drug combination or a three drug combination. This is mm-hmm. this is their upfront therapy, their first time being treated. So this is the early stage of the disease when they're first diagnosed and they need treatment. Um, this, this is an example of therapy. There, there are several other therapies that we've done and, or we've been a part of where we've looked at not just adding therapy. There are certain times we want to reduce chemotherapy. So, for example, in older patients with early stage lymphoma, the standard of care was always six cycles of this combination of drugs called RCHOP, RCHOP. RCHOP, I remember that. Yep, I remember yes, hearing about our Ducamab, cyclophosphamide, doxorubicin, yep. vincristine, and prednisone, that combination. And so we participated in a study that looked at early-stage people with favorable disease. Could we give four cycles instead of six? Mm-hmm. Could we give less therapy to avoid side effects and toxicity? Right. And there's a lot of studies going on in Hodgkin's lymphoma. Again, a very curable disease, but the therapies... The, not just the chemotherapy, but the radiation therapy causes long-lasting side effects, causes long-lasting heart disease and things like that. So there are a lot of clinical trials looking at giving less therapy. You so know, again... No, go, go ahead. ahead. One of the things that is coming to mind is, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of breast cancer patients over the years. And as time went on, I saw some of the newer things that they're doing are to treat the patient with chemo too, any Yes, that's neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And maybe, can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. Let's put this card on the table. I am Ah. a breast cancer doc. I know, that's fine. That's fine, but but you're my my leader. (laughs) So so adjuvant therapy, as I talked before, is therapy that we give after surgery. Right. Neoadjuvant therapy 
is neo meaning before or newer. It's chemo given before the surgery. So it's done to kind of downgrade or downstage the tumor, which mm. may be a really large tumor beforehand, but then maybe you could sh- give chemotherapy, shrink it, and then make the surgery either smaller or yeah. more successful or sometimes doable in a setting where it previously wasn't doable. So that's what we call neoadjuvant therapy. Yeah, I just wanted and, to, to, to hit that because I know that that's definitely a pathway that I've seen a lot of patients take. Absolutely. You know, one of the other things we haven't touched on, aside from these immune therapies and targeted therapies, is what we call the supportive therapies, Mm. the therapies that we give that make the drugs less toxic. So, for example, I've said many times that a lot of these chemotherapies or or even immune therapies suppress the immune system. There are drugs that we give now to boost the immune system as a response, you know, to prevent infections. Or a lot of these drugs that cause nausea and vomiting, we have a sophisticated array of, of anti-nausea medicines that we give both preventatively, we give the, a lot of them to prevent the nausea, then other ones available as a rescue if someone does develop persistent nausea. So there's a lot of different things that we've got out there. You know, and I think that's what, you know, when, when patients hear the cancer diagnosis, I think that is the biggest fear they have is... That, okay, you're going to do, if there is surgery and it's appropriate for a surgery, you're going to get the cancer out, but then that treatment of chemotherapy, that to them is almost their death sentence. Right, exactly. And, you know, it, it really, in 2021, we really shouldn't be having that. So we've got, even at, at, at Smilo at St. Francis, we've got aggressive programs preventing people or addressing those aspects to try to keep them out of the hospital and, and right. not being sick, whether that be the preventative anti-nausea medicines we give or we bring them back and call them a day or two after chemotherapy to see how they're doing, sometimes just to give them IV fluids. You know, they're not eating, right. drinking. If they're not doing that, they get dehydrated, they get sick. But if we bring them back preemptively, give them IV fluids so when they go home and they're not eating and drinking as much, they just don't get dehydrated. Right. Um, doing all of these types of things to prevent those admissions to the emergency department, make it not such that horrible experience that they've seen or heard about in the past. You know, I know we I shared this story with you, but and I promised you that I would probably share it tonight, but, you know, my father-in-law recently went through uh, cancer treatment for lymphoma, and he is 91 himself. And, you know, when he was diagnosed, until we actually... Um, started his chemo, he got very, very sick really, really quickly. And this is not a typical 91. He's a 91. I know I shared with you that does his garden, that does his yard. He mows the grass still. He does his own snow blowing. And, you know, we were so fearful. And we brought him into the hospital and they started the chemo um, treatment there to make sure he'd do okay because of his age. So, you know, started it out slowly, worked it up, worked everything in with the protocol they would put in play. And, you know, I am, we are are so blessed that he is amazing right now and his side effects were not were not what I would have thought they would have been what I've seen with other people over the years as a nurse they I mean they were minimal I mean you know it was incredible and he had God bless him he has a full head of hair he keeps telling us he lost some but I really don't see it and you know within a couple of months of his treatment he was snow blowing and I had to send a picture to his his oncologist who works um, for you Dr. Um, Dr. Cheng and I couldn't believe um, how how incredible he did 
and you know, and yeah. it's it's a testament to what what we do. Um, as a healthcare system, number one, and what your team does, but also where cancer has gone. And, and it's a testament to the thousands of patients that went before him who uh, participated yeah. on the clinical trials to get those drugs approved for him. Yeah, it's, so, it's incredible. Uh, and to him and his fighting spirit. Look, I, I when I see a patient, I don't. I tell them, I said, I'm not looking at your chronologic age. I look at your biological age. What, what do you act like? Yeah. You know, if he's 91 but going on 81, <laughs> that's different. I, I'm going to tell you, like he, an 81 year old. he's going on 71, and he had eight yeah, kids. And, I don't know. <laughs> he's amazing. And and that's critical. Look, and there are people who are 60 going on 80. Right. And we treat them like that. You know, you, you treat their biologic age. Yeah, you know, uh, that's so important. That's so important. Doc. Age, age should not be a cutoff for therapies. Yeah. They're not ageist. They shouldn't. You know, I so believe in that, and I think that... We we can adapt the therapy, you know, if we, you know, just like they did with him, you know, they they adapted it just to bring him in and start him on it in the hospital. But they gave him a pretty aggressive therapy. Sure. They said he's handling it. Give it to him. (laughs) And they they personalize it. There there are we we personalize the regimen. Look, when, when someone comes in, there are several different options. We look at the patient. We look at their age. We look at their organ function. Right. There are certain times we look at, you know, we'll adjust it based on. Okay, you know, as I mentioned, our job is the standard therapy for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Right. But if someone has heart disease, it doesn't mean we're not going to give them uh, therapy with curative intent. We switch it out and we personalize it for them. We take out the doxorubicin, maybe give them a toposide instead, or, we, you know, we, there are other options we can do. We, we certainly personalize it to right. the individual patient, whether it be their age, their perform- what we call the performance status, meaning how healthy do they look and act. Their organ function, do they have kidney damage or heart damage, things like that. Um, What are their goals? You know, not everybody says, look, I must be cured of this disease. I want to live forever. Some people say, look, I just want this. uh, I'm having discomfort from this. I want Mm -hmm. this addressed. And sometimes we could do a localized therapy, such as radiation therapy, just to address that. We, you know, we don't we don't have to cure every single person. I mean, we'd love to. Right. Of course, we'd love to, but we look at the big picture, and sometimes it's just a matter of making someone more comfortable right. or addressing this one situation, and that's the art of medicine. And you know what I loved about our conversation tonight is I feel like we talked so positively about treatment and chemotherapy. I feel like at this, you know, we've talked a lot about wins, and I want to stay on that because I really think we have to say we're winning. We're starting to win. Mind you, again, I, I'm an oncologist. I'm a leukemia doc. I'm the eternal optimist. <laughs> Good. I have to be. You have to be. And and I am an only child that's very spoiled, and I won't have it any other way. Good. So I, I like to Let's make sure that we are in the winning team. So if we talk about these wins, there's future wins I'm sure that you personally would love to would love to see or maybe you see happening. What are some what are some future wins you think that are on the horizon or a path you would love to see? So I'd, I'd love to see greater participation in clinical trials. Mm. Um, again, mm. that's the way for aside from us advancing care in general, it's the way for the individual patient to get the best quality care. So we, you know we are, very active with our clinical trial participation mm. and, and enrollment and, and, and accruals. And so I'd like to continue that, but I'd like to see more. And, in, and not just at my hospital, I'd, I'd like to see this everywhere. Look, Trinity Health in New England, we, we've got this incredible cancer program with Smilo at St. Francis. This is great, but 
everybody everywhere should have access to clinical trials. I'd like, I'd like to see that happen. I'd like to see advancement of these immune therapies um, so that they are less toxic and you know, better therapies. I'd like to see a day when every tumor can get profiled mm-hmm. and we can find the specific mutations in them and then match those mutations to a drug. So there are companies that do this. Um, so, you know, there, there are, I won't throw out, you know, names, I'm not advertising, right, but right. there are several companies that, that basically look at a tumor, they profile it, they look for genetic mutations, and then they match them, even if a drug is not necessarily approved for that, but they may find this mutation and they know that that drug is active for it for another disease, and they say maybe this is appropriate for you, or here's a clinical trial that you can match to. So. Uh, interestingly, my daughter who's doing a college internship over the summer in Chicago, she's working for a company like this. And, and more and more wow. of these programs are coming about where we can target therapies specifically for individual cancer. So I, I'm looking forward to that in the future. That's amazing. And you that's why you're in the role that you're in. So as we're at the 10 of hours, see how fast it goes, Doc? I told you. Yeah, really. I told you. We, didn't, we weren't going to run out of stuff. I have so much more I could do, but I, I want to bring it back home. So what I want you to maybe talk about just for a little bit is is the regional vision for Trinity Health of New England and what, and what it looks like right now. So what we're bringing together and what our future looks like, hopefully, to um, collaborate. So right now we've got three separate, pro- three separate programs. Mm-hmm. Mercy Medical Center Pro in Springfield. Um, that's headed by Phil Glenn. It's an amazing program. We've got the St. Mary's Cancer Program headed by Consuelo Medrano, and we've got the St. Francis Program. Um, we're three separate programs that have started to regionalize. That's great. Um, regionalization, you know, what will that mean? We'd, we'd like to see best practices shared right. throughout the region. We have Smilo at our center. We'd like to see Smilo brought throughout the region, and that's a work in progress. We'd like to see clinical trials mm. at all the sites. We'd like to see things like nurse navigators, mm. uh, nutritionists, social workers, financial counselors at all of our sites all throughout the region. And but, that's so important because, you know, we talk about, you know, some of the, the supportive therapies and being able to connect with those supportive therapies regionally for for patients. I know we have um, Dr. Kathleen Muller. She's been on our program several times. She's back in her integrative medicine seat and she provides so much supportive therapy for, you know, visualization. and and She is an integral part of our (laughs) cancer program. Dr. Muller and the integrative medicine program, I, I, I you know, Aren't I, she I, so happy she's back? I'm I'm thrilled. <laughs> um, I, I sent her, you know, the first day I, I sent her emails. We talked on the phone. We've already met. Absolutely an integral part because that's part of the cancer program. Right. So those 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 aspects of care of treat. You know, we try not to treat just the the disease. I'm not treating just the cancer. I'm treating the entire patient. And if the patient is terrified or nervous or they need some kind of um, you know, Reiki therapy or some kind of uh, meditation therapy or some kind of acupuncture or acupressure to help with their symptoms, help with their mental state, help mm. with their neuropathy. The, the therapies and the, um, the care that she provides and the whole integrative medicine service there, I myself have gone there for the acupuncture. They're, it's an incredible team that they have there. She's um, awesome. But that's it. But it's, again, it's, it's, it's treating, and that's, that's another thing that we do with the cancer program, 
is treat the entire patient. Treat the patient as a whole person, not just treat the cancer, not just treat the disease. Well, speaking of regional, she's actually also a program that we're going to be regionalizing. So as we speak, I've already had her down in the Waterbury market looking at space to put her team here. So yes. that's so exciting for our oncology team, plus our other other physicians who refer to her, and because she does so much more with all of our different specialties, you know, she's just an incredible resource. But we're very excited, and I believe she's also going to be trying to focus on putting it together for the Springfield market. So you know, when we talk about regionalization, it doesn't always have to be exactly the same. It fits the market, is what I usually say, but you work together to adopt those best practices and know that you have a longer and larger team. Absolutely. So what we do, we're not going to try to replicate what we have at St. Francis at all Mm -hmm. the other sites. So, for example, we have 13 docs at our site. We're Mm -hmm. all subspecialized. So I just do blood cancers, and Mm -hmm. one of my colleagues will just do breast cancers, or one will just do GYN cancers, and that's how we subspecialize. But in the market, in a site at at St. Mary's where there are two docs or at Mercy where there are four docs, you can't really do that kind of subspecialization. So we don't intend to replicate everything that we have at one place at all the other sites, but we certainly want to bring the best that we have and what is appropriate to all of these sites. But how awesome to be able to have the larger team that the smaller teams can rely on. So, you know, if they get, you know, down in the Waterbury market, if they get a type of cancer that, you know, let me check with my colleague up at St. Francis that specializes in this cancer. Let's make sure I'm doing the, the protocols is something that makes sense or they've seen anything different or is there a clinical trial we have available we can tap into? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And we, we work together. There's, there's, we're all on equal ground. We all, we all work together. Yeah. It's, and it's I think team. that's so, so important. I know, you know, it's a small but mighty team down here, but they do have that huge regional support. And I think that to me means a lot. You know, when a patient looks for their care, they shouldn't shop outside of this area because no, Trinity no- Health of New England has it. Yeah, they, they, they've got incredible expertise there. Uh, Absolutely. And, and expertise up, you know, uh, you know, just 30 miles away that supports them. Yeah. Which is, Absolutely. which is huge. So Doc, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up. So if you had to um, kind of end on a note, I know clinical trials will be in there. Um, what is the takeaway we could give to our audience? You know, the other thing is, look, cancer is a disaster. Um, and when it when it when someone gets a new, it's a disaster. It, it's a disaster for the patient, for the family members, for the caregivers. It, it's horrible. So I'm not gonna. I don't want to sugarcoat it. But when people say, "Well, what's the point? I'm just gonna die anyway," or it's, "I don't want to go down in flames," and I don't want to go out with those you know, horrible side effects. It's not like that. Come for a consultation. Come see us. Let us talk to you. You know, if if it's that horrible, we're not gonna do it. I mean, if our therapy is gonna make the patient worse and the, and the therapy is worse than the disease itself, yeah. we don't do it, we're not right. crazy. Uh, we're, we're here to make people better, whether, you know, it doesn't always mean, we're not gonna always try to cure this or try to get rid of it or go over what we need to do, but, you know, before, before you've thrown in the towel, come, come talk to us and see what we have to offer. Well, Doc, I can't 
thank you enough for joining us. I just want to um, direct people to the website in the right way so that they can look yourself up and um, see where you are and also look into what we have as a healthcare system. So certainly go on our website, trinityhealthofne.org. Um, type in um, Dr. Adam, we'll actually put in Adam Borkov, B-O-R. U-C-H-O-V and his bio will pull up. He is at a few locations. Doc, where are you normally? Usually at St. Francis or do you go to the outside offices too? I'm I'm just at St. Francis. You're just at St. Francis, but we do have some of your team available um, in Enfield and Glastonbury, right? Yep, we have Enfield and Glastonbury. We also have our Mercy site in uh, Springfield and our St. Mary's site in Waterbury. Awesome. Well, Doc, thank you again for joining us tonight it was an absolute honor to have us to have you on awesome take care all right take care bye-bye so i hope um our audience um was able to get a positive spin on what's happening in the care of patients um our cancer patients Uh, we um wanted to make sure everyone knew that you know trinity health of new england um is definitely on the mission to regionalize our cancer care and bring our expertise um, across from Mercy, St. Francis to St. Mary's Hospital and our two um, mighty physicians, uh, Dr. Yuming Chang and Dr. Quonsolito Madrano, who are at our Harold Lever Regional Cancer Center um, in Waterbury, have been amazing in their fight to get against cancer locally and I want to make sure I throw their names out there because they are a small but incredibly mighty team and gave my father-in-law the best cure anyone could ever ask for because as definitely as a lifetime Waterbarian um, I choose to get my care locally and I choose to get my care here and I couldn't be prouder to be part of a system like Trinity Health of New England where we have the expertise and we share our best practices so if you want to know more again go on trinityhealthofne.org you can definitely put in Dr. Borakoff's name it's Adam Borakoff B-O-R-C I want to make sure that I spell it right, B-O-R-U-C-H-O-V. Um, look him up and look at where he is. and Or you can put in one of the oncologists locally here. Certainly go in and you can put in um, Dr. Madrano, M-E-D-R-A-N-O, or Dr. Chang, um, Yuming Chang, and pull them up and see more about them. Um, I want to um, let you know that we will be back in two weeks. I will probably be, be bringing another one of my physicians that are one of my service line leaders talking about our regional program. Um, We are very, very busy at St. Mary's Hospital moving, 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 growing, growing, growing. So please keep your eye out for new access centers that we will be opening up and definitely new services. And we're excited to be able to bring that your way. Go on our website, trinityhealthofne.org. Johnny's giving me the close sign. Thank you everyone for joining me tonight. Robin Sills, St. Mary's Hospital, Trinity Health of New England. Stay safe. 